Ahoy, and welcome to The Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related, including illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly, some of your very own personal stories. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm. they can appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission to say, you just need a little bit of help. And I don't think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Welcome to episode 235, I believe. I hope you are well. hope things are going good for you this week or this fortnight. And I did you notice the, the new intro? Slightly shorter and kind of re-recorded on some slightly better equipment. So hopefully it sounds a little bit nicer, maybe. Um, but yes, I hope things are, are good with you. I hope you've enjoyed the recent episodes where we've had new and returning guests on the podcast. This week we have another new guest, delighted to say Phil's going to join us today. Uh, a big thank you to Phil for sharing his own experience and insights, um, and particularly with the Legs for Africa project, which we're going to be talking about today. Really interesting to hear how kind of mental health and well-being has been introduced alongside a very physical health-focused project, and how that kind of journey has happened and uh kind of the learning opportunities and where that project is going and i think some real um kind of points that can be picked up and maybe attributed to other projects that might be happening but yeah a big thank you to phil for coming on and for for sharing his insights hopefully you enjoy this episode and it i think it really is a slightly different conversation to the the conversations we've had recently um so definitely worth listening to and if Listening to this episode and listening to Phil makes you feel like you would like to come onto the podcast in the future. You can find information about being a guest on the website, which is openjournalbc.com. Uh, you can find all the information over there. It'd be really interesting to hear more of you uh, in the future sharing your experiences or insights around mental health and well-being. Whether that's lived experience, uh, relevant projects, uh, products, whatever's going on. Um, I think it's been really interesting over the last kind of, I guess, five, ten episodes where we've had what feels like very different conversations um, in regards to either lived experience or projects that are happening. So it'd be great to have more of those, really. Yes. Uh, if you have enjoyed this episode, if you have enjoyed the other recent episodes, please do consider leaving a review on your podcast platform or your app. Um, it really does help other people become more aware of of the podcast and the conversations that we're having but for now 
I'm going to leave you with this awesome conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And I look forward to speaking to you again in two weeks time. Phil, it's lovely to be sat down and to be speaking with you. How how's just your last couple of days been? What's been going on for you recently? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Nice to sit down and talk to you too. Um, I've actually had a really lovely week because um, I was made an uncle for the first time um, on Saturday. Um, my youngest sister, she had a baby, a little girl. Um, I haven't met her yet. They live um, a couple of hundred miles away. Um, but I'm hoping to in the next few weeks. Oh, amazing stuff. Oh, that's really good. I like, I feel like the last, not necessarily on the podcast, but I feel like the last few people I've asked, it's always been sort of, oh, like, you know, we're struggling to get through January. And yeah. Um, so it's nice to have some positive news and kind of, a, yeah, that's really nice. Really hopeful stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's helpful, that kind of thing with the January lull, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Bit of nice family news. Yeah, I feel like um, I've got uh, I've got two friends with birthdays in January, and I feel like actually, especially if it's towards the end of January, I feel like that's quite a nice time. Sort of forces a little bit of if you're a birthday person, a little bit of niceness into January, which is quite nice, quite a yeah. dry time. Um, so yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really positive, really nice. Well, it's funny you say that as well because it's my birthday in two days. Oh um, wow! Yeah, you really had to share your birthday. But yeah, which does you know, in a, a January birthday, I mean, it is nice. But as a kid, I always like I resented it a little bit, you know, because it's like it was a present afterthought. I always oh. thought it was like, oh, people would just save a bit that they didn't want to give me at Christmas <laughs> for my birthday, um, you know, and a bit older no one's got the money to kind of go out for a drink with you um <laughs> but um yeah. but no i'm I've, I've grown to like my january birthday now um because it does help with the mid-january kind of feeling you know yeah. the mood yeah i mean you say the leftover presents again <laughs> i i do know someone whose birthday is on the 23rd of december Mm. So, so yeah uh, maybe that makes me think the January ones are better than they are because <laughs> I'm like <laughs> oh, I could you could have a Christmas birthday and mm, that would be True. a tricky one that would be a tricky one um but yeah we're we're sitting down to to have a talk about something that kind of on and off we've been swapping emails for a period of time so it's really nice to be kind of finally able to sit down and, and have a conversation um I just wonder before we kind of get on to the project that we're going to talk about whether we could just hear a little bit about you and if you have any kind of insights or passion for kind of mental health or well-being or any experience um kind of lived experience or experience on other projects yeah absolutely so um i've well i've been part of the charity for about six years since it started um and predominantly the charity was purely about the physical um you know we 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 will get onto it um of course but we um we work with uh, prosthetic legs and we were purely about we want to get as many prosthetic legs to people in need in africa as we can um and as we were doing that we realized that a lot of people we were working with needed more than a prosthetic leg um a lot of them you know they've been amputated they've faced trauma they'd 
they their mental health um you know needed attention um and through that process i've also been looking at my own mental health as well you know because mental health has been in my dialogue a lot more in the past few years um and it never really was beforehand um so yeah last year um i actually started therapy myself for the first time um and i almost did it because you know we were encouraging our you know our, our friends our beneficiaries out in africa to get it um and i realized i didn't really know the benefit myself so i I went into it almost on a whim or like, a, oh, I should know a bit more about this. And now I absolutely love it and have signed up to loads more sessions and couldn't, I don't really want to think about not having it. Um, it's uncovered amazing things about myself um, and, you know, made me reflect on not so nice things as well. Um, but the whole process has been really beneficial for me. And now I'm so much more of an advocate for therapy and exploring our own mental health. Well, that's awesome to hear. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I think it's really interesting having, I guess like that difference in that process, like once you've experienced kind of the benefits of some of the things you're talking about, because I think I would say I'm very much a believer in you don't have to have experienced something to be able to advocate or to signpost or or um, kind of encourage people to but it does add that I don't want to say it makes you better because I feel like that I'm not sure but it definitely adds something else to have that that um, that lived experience of have going through the process of kind of turning up and waiting for a session going in talking to someone going through um, kind of your story and, and that process of kind of self-reflection um, particularly when we're uh, maybe you more actively than me, but encouraging people to, to access services like this or to provide them, um, I think could be a really valuable kind of added insight. Um, I guess, do you feel that, what kind of difference has that made to, to you personally? Having had that experience, how do you, um, I don't know, maybe, have your rapports or the way you reflect on on therapy and counselling changed? Um, I think, well, I suppose it's worth saying that the, 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 the kind of therapy that I'm getting compared to um, our beneficiaries would be very different. You know, I haven't, I've, I haven't lost a limb myself. Um, and so it's not directly, you know, <laughs> it's not the same kind of thing however it's helped me um, develop a language around therapy and um, just the, the process of sitting with somebody who really wants to listen to you um, and you know will leave I mean he my therapist leaves huge silences after like <laughs> when I think I've come to the end of what I wanted to say and then I'll always find something else that goes a little deeper um and you can see he's just like doing a little grin like yeah I knew there was more there um and you know I I really want um the the the, the peer support 
um, and counsellors that we're employing or we're signposting people to in Africa to to have those skills as well so they can just really get to the get to the, the bottom if that's a thing of somebody's you know trauma or whatever they're going through um so I think even that just seeing the way that the therapist works themselves not even about my own personal experience but seeing how the process is um is really helpful yeah I think so really interesting to hear kind of that insight as well we've we've sort of spoken around it a little bit here um we're obviously talking about uh legs for africa and some of the work that goes on around around that we've kind of touched on that a little bit but it'd be interesting to hear from you kind of uh, how the the charity has come together and what the project kind of initially looked like and and kind of where it's grown to yeah absolutely so um so legs for africa has been going you know six years or so and it started off because um the, a friend of mine, my colleague, Tom, he, um, he was traveling in the Gambia and he met somebody that needed a prosthetic leg. And Tom in his naivety thought, oh, I'll just go back to England and buy him a prosthetic leg. Um, and when he tried to do that, he realized that it would cost over 10,000 pounds and they have to be you know, properly fitted to somebody. Um, you can't just kind of pick one up and give one to somebody. Um, so then we found a mobility center in Gambia that can fit prosthetic legs, but found that they didn't have any um, components. They didn't have any feet or knees or pylons, the connecting parts or materials they were really low on. Um, so we started calling around hospitals in the UK um, asking if they had any old parts and it turns out that there were loads of old parts going to landfill because in the UK when somebody outgrows a prosthetic leg or if somebody dies or if somebody has one fitted but it's not quite right they can't reuse the parts because they're classed as medical waste um, but that we thought was quite crazy because there's these knee you know they're made of metal and they're so high tech and they cost thousands of pounds and they they don't like go inside anybody's body they can be easily sterilized you know um quite a lot of the time a knee joint in the foot will be under a lot of covering anyway in somebody's prosthetic leg so these hospitals are actually quite happy that we would step in and take them off their hands because they didn't like throwing them away because they'd often think the same. Um, so we collected, I think we collected about 500 legs in the first few months and took them out to the Gambia. Um, we drove them there in an old van and the mobility centre was, you know, overwhelmed and um, very thankful. <laughs> um, and so that was the early days and um, it's kind of developed now into a large, well, you know, a medium sized charity, a much larger charity than we were initially. And we work with mobility centers across the UK, but also in Australia and Canada, USA and France. And we collect prosthetic limb parts from all over there. Um, we dismantle them all and clean them all up before we send them out. And we send them to centres all over Africa now because we found that this was a common 
theme across Africa that there'll be mobi mobility centers and staff that are quite well trained, um, but they just really struggle to get the parts. Um, or they'll be able to buy the parts, but they can cost thousands and thousands of pounds from suppliers in Europe, and they simply won't be affordable for the local population. Um, and a lot of these places don't have a healthcare system like we do in the UK, where you know you'll get your prosthetic limb for free, essentially. Mm. So going through all of that, we um, we started to then meet the the beneficiaries, the people that were receiving the limbs from the mobility centres, um, and we've met some wonderful people um, and people with, you know, real you know real hard stories to hear as well from the way that their their leg was amputated and the trauma they faced and then the stigma um afterwards of you know trying to find work or or find love or get by as a disabled person um and that led us on to um the fact that we we need to put in some well-being services um, so we can help people navigate the, 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 the problems that they face being a, an amputee. Um, so over the past couple of years, we've been, we've, well, there's, there's kind of two angles we're taking with well-being. Um, one is we're training um, counsellors and people to give peer support. And we look for for amputees to employ to do that, to get trained so that they've got the lived experience to, um, to, to go and talk with people that are newly amputated or um, that are even about to be amputated um, or, or even people that have been amputated for years but haven't, you know, haven't been able to access these kind of services. Um, so that's one angle we're doing. And the other is we're um, helping community groups. So there's amputee-led community groups in a few of the countries that we serve, and we're supporting them to expand their reach. Um, so for example, in Gambia, there's, um, there's a football team, an amputee football team, um, that have recently come back from playing in the African Cup of Nations, the amputee uh, version. Um, and we helped them to, to get there and, you know, we, we, we helped them to, to train and come together and, um, you know, open bank accounts and make themselves legitimate. Um, and we found that, you know, playing sport is really good for people's well-being. Um, you know, and some of the amputees in the football team as well lost their legs actually playing football or from injuries related to football that weren't that didn't heal well and you know infections set in and whatnot. Um, and you know, su surprisingly, they still wanted to play football and they um, <laughs> are getting loads out of the football team. It's almost like they've got a they've got a point to prove on the football pitch. Um, and then we've also got a, you know, a Gambian Amputees Association as well, which is um, more of a monthly meeting and they do local advocacy and, um, and they talk about things like caring for their prosthetic leg, caring for their stump, physiotherapy exercises, 
Um, but the most important thing that we found to come out of that is just people meeting other amputees and sharing their stories and being heard and understood and not overlooked. Um, and we've had really good feedback from people, you know, trying to escape the the stigma and the the kind of shame that people can feel. I think it's it's really interesting hearing how the the project has kind of grown and that that journey that's that's happened both from kind of that original idea and the concept and kind of the that focus on the, the almost the physical health uh support um and now looking at some of the kind of those mental health aspects that sort of come in afterwards um but there must be it's just so i, I just when you were talking about that setup and just going there's so much need for this and also it's not like you've had to um really work out how to get or create all of these these donations they were all there it was all waste that wasn't kind of being managed or utilized better um i guess i kind of feel like that part of, of what you're speaking about really overlaps with the focus at the moment on kind of being a greener planet and kind of using materials much more and actually recognizing um maybe some of the things that we i guess uh, i don't misuse or don't take into account the value that they have for other people um obviously we're talking about quite a specific aspect of, of health and and equipment as well but there'll be many things i think people do or, or might not be aware of that actually could be of support to other people um i just wonder if that kind of came into your thinking uh, earlier on in that stage when you're going through and sort of realizing actually there's a lot of of um equipment here that can help people and be part of their physical health moving forward yeah and um yeah to be honest i think that's the reason i got involved in the first place was um knowing that we could save waste and put it to good use um you know the the fact that it was prosthetic legs was just a happy accident you know that we kind of found like wow there's this resource that's just it's so needed and it's you know it's really high end and expensive yet it's going to waste um and we just kind of jumped on the opportunity because it it just made so much sense um but you know through the journey as well we we often get um get requests to take loads of other equipment off people's hands you know hospitals care homes individuals getting touch offering us you know wheelchairs and um crutches hospital beds electric scooters all sorts um and for a while we we took it as well um but then we we put a stop to it and said you know we should we should specialize in one area and you know we were getting overwhelmed with the amount of stuff we could be given and just didn't really have the funds or the resources to be able to distrib distribute it in a safe and you know in a good way mm. um so we've stuck with the legs but it's amazing the the amount that does go to waste in the world um you know, and hopefully the tide's changing um, because people are so much more aware or becoming more aware of waste, but the tide hasn't changed yet, you know? Yeah, I think it still feels quite 
early doors for a lot of it in terms of I think I think of kind of when I was younger the push was for people to recycle um, and kind of have a, a green bin or something like that that you're putting into and now it seems um, that it's a lot more on okay what shouldn't be going in that what goes in different places and how do you recycle certain things differently and it's like it still feels quite early with some of those um, I guess public messages that come out um and i think for me personally it feels like you have individuals that are really on board with this that really know about particular things because they are things they care about or they have quite a lot of and they're aware of how to recycle or repurpose or reuse those yeah but kind of that public message doesn't necessarily come i'm not sure there is that big jump yet around um any more than oh that can be recycled if that goes in a bin rather than mm. thinking about okay this is a big item that can't be recycled but actually it could be used in another way I, I kind of cross my fingers and hope that people are starting to do more donations to charity shops and things like that but I don't know if that's me being optimistic I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> um I'm not sure either um I feel like I'm in a bubble of people that are really into recycling <laughs> so I I I feel like the ties, you know, we're getting there, but, you know. Uh, that's I good, also that's know good. You make that me aren't. feel optimistic. You make me feel optimistic. Yeah. I think that's, um, I guess that's my feeling often around kind of mental health and well-being is I always feel like we're further ahead than we are um, because you kind of surround yourself within that environment of people that are positive and proactive and engaged in these conversations. Um, and I think that's where sometimes it's like, uh, I guess I feel like it's important to reflect and share that message outwardly um, because sometimes you end up in almost like an echo chamber of oh we're doing this that's great okay yeah but there's only 20 of us here actually there's a wider group over here that are not quite in the same place as us and maybe aren't aware, as, a, as aware of what they could do um, but you also mentioned kind of that, that that mental health and the well-being aspect and some of the support that, that is now happening. I just wonder, um, kind of initially that journey you kind of talked through about kind of why the support's there and what it, what it now looks like, um, but that very early stage that you would have gone through around kind of recognizing maybe some of the difficulties or the struggles that people were having um, before you're able to support them, but also potentially after or during that support as well, there might've still been struggles. So kind of how did, that kind of early um process happen and what did that feel like and look like for you sure so um i suppose there was there was there was a fundamental man in the gambia um a guy called well there was two actually there's a guy called alu and a guy called musa and um both of them recognized, they helped set up this Gambian Amputee Association, and they recognized the importance of people talking with each other. And they um, came to us and said that they think it'd be really helpful to do a, um, a counseling course. No, it was a social work course, which there, we didn't find any counseling courses or therapy courses in the Gambia, but there was a social work course that covered some aspects of, um, you know, conversational therapy. Um, and yeah, we thought it was a, a great idea. So they went and did this course that was, um, it was like, it was part-time for a year 
And then from that, um, Alu started um, going to visit the hospital and talking with people there. Um, he's, he's a prosthetic leg wearer. Um, he's worked in the police force for years. Um, I think he's, he's about 50 or, or so. Um, and surprisingly, he for the past 20 years, he'd been working in the police force without people knowing that he was an amputee. Um, so only his boss knew, and he was given a desk job because his running around days were behind him. Um, but he kept it secret because of the he didn't want to receive the stigma from his peers. Um, but he was very happy to come out as an amputee and go and visit people in hospital and show them his prosthetic leg and um, kind of let them know that, you know, there, there would be or it's possible to have a wonderful life after being amputated. He, you know, he was married after he was amputated and had kids and, a, you know, a full-time job. Um, so he just wanted to kind of prove to people that it could be done. Um, and, you know, we kind of call that the, the peer support. Um, and that's how it started. Um, so then we got some someone from the UK to, to travel over to Gambia and teach 10 people how to, how to listen and be there in a peer support way. Um, and those 10 people are now going out and talking to, to people part-time. And then Alu's now gone on to do a proper counselling course. Um, so there's him and another lady, Binta, and they are counsellors. So it's it's a bit deeper than peer support. You know, they can, you know, really listen to, to people that have, you know, I, I suppose peer support is kind of telling people how life can be and counselling is more like listening to them and trying to trying to get to the trauma. So you um, think kind of like um, you were almost describing it earlier when you were talking about your experience with kind of counselling and therapy around the idea of you can speak to someone and someone can listen but mm. that guided like knowing to pause and to wait and maybe like a strategic question those are the things I always think of that like the difference between anyone can ask how are you and yeah. listen some people are maybe I don't know uh, like more equipped or more educated around how to wait and how to ask I guess um so I think that's always the the bit because I like to say like anyone can ask you how you are and kind of offer that support but that's the difference I or that's the difference I think of when I think of like you say those people that have, have trained to be uh counsellors and therapists and uh, life coaches those are the people that are uh, yeah asking questions I think strategically and, and waiting for those those moments to like I'm gonna wait now and I'm gonna just give Phil another 20 seconds and I know the next bit will come um yeah. but yeah really interesting to hear kind of that journey it's not just the support that you're offering actually there's a there's education and personal journeys there and, and um real lived experience case studies that show kind of the journeys that people can go on and I always think those are the things that people connect with I guess from my experience it's it's great when you hear um 
like these things are available this service is here or this help is here or we help this many people or have this many um limbs we can support you with but it's the stories and the people that often we connect with um because we can see that journey and there might be certain parts of it that you connect with and um so to to know that that's that's kind of in there and part of your project already i think is is really good to hear and to um just very different experiences those people have had as well um and i guess now you've had a, a period of time where the project has grown and move forward and if like as you say very specialized in what you do now not taking just any piece of equipment that you can get your hands on um kind of where are, where are you where's legs for africa kind of right now um what's the maybe the next step um the next thing that you're kind of looking towards for for what's going on because i know there's a lot of work that's happening kind of last year as well so um yeah where are you where are you now and what's what's maybe next yeah um, good question. So we we want to still expand the amount of prosthetic legs we um, recycle or repurpose. Um, we we recycled our ten thousandth leg um, a couple of months ago, um, which sounds like a big number, but we you know I think there's millions of amputees in Africa that need a prosthetic leg, so you know in reality we're not scratching the surface um i mean there's ten thousand wonderful stories there mm. but you know our aim our, our ultimate mission is to make sure that everyone has a um, affordable prosthetic leg and that everyone has you know some some other services for for their well-being um and at the moment, we have a small well-being program in Gambia and a small well-being program in Ghana and in Uganda. Um, and you know that probably helps a couple of hundred people in total. So there's huge growth there. Um, but that growth, it's hard to do it too quickly because people need to be trained and it's hard to find trained counsellors um, in those places and we really want to encourage um, amputees to be the ones that are trained up because they they struggle to find work a lot of the time and they have the lived experience mm -hmm. um, so it's a slow burner because we we want those people to be trained then to develop the programs that they can go out and support people um, and I suppose the third area of growth, aside legs and um, well-being area, is um, we want to help improve mobility centre services. So we've started a programme, um, it's in its second year now, where we help um, females that have been amputated um, get qualified in prosthesis, um, so in making the prosthetic legs, because we found that it's very male dominant workforce. Um, but it's also quite an intrusive procedure. So um, sometimes women with a high amputation would feel uncomfortable for a man to be fitting them 
um, and much more comfortable for a woman. So we want to get a lot more women involved. Um, so we've set up these bursaries for women to go to a university in Tanzania. So last year we had four women go um, for a year long course and now they're doing internships in mobility centers and they were from all over the continent. Um, and this year we have six. Um, they just started a couple of months ago um, on their course. Um, and yeah, we wanna keep that program going and expand it every year, hopefully. Um, and then maybe expand it to other universities as well. Um, you know, there's, there's a good university in Rwanda and there's also opportunities to come to Europe to study. Um, so those are, oh, and as well, sorry, with the, with improving, improving mobility center services, we, we find that sometimes people are using really old machinery that, that kind of on its, on its last legs pardon the pun um and so we we want to help people upgrade their their machinery and tools so they can be making better quality uh, prosthetic legs it sounds um, like it's a, a really good progress and a journey there and i think when you're talking as well about that the involvement of the people with lived experience that are also almost part of that project with you it sort of feels like there's that balance isn't there of of steady progression I guess and the evolution within that of um, involving those people and supporting them as you say in those other areas as well um, and I guess seeing that journey I'm also thinking I'm jumping back in my head now to when you were talking again about having those donations and at first kind of finding them accepting them and then gradually working out what fits and what works for you and for the project and kind of really honing that and moving forward and it feels like that's sort of there with some of the things you're talking about now and because you've identified the areas that you you want to move forward and actually what's going to be of, of benefit to the, 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 the people that you're supporting um, rather than just, oh, here's my idea and I'm going to kind of plant it here. Um, it's really engaging and listening to, to what's needed. Um, and I think that sounds like a simple thing, but it's so rarely done, <laughs> is actually <laughs> listening to oh, this is what people would like support with rather than what I think they should have support with. Um, so really nice to hear kind of that that engagement and that listening of, of what's been useful. Um, there's one thing I did want to kind of touch on before we round off of um, kind of you mentioned at the beginning again around that um, kind of an initial idea and a few people that you'd spoken to and um, having this insight. And now um, the project seems to have opened up into other countries, talking about kind of different university support and, and things like that. Um, how have you kind of managed that growth from that original idea and project in maybe one particular area in one province or one country to then scaling that up? Because that's now a very different project, I guess, to the original idea or concept. Yeah. Um... I suppose the growth came because we we had too many legs. Um, <laughs> we, you know, there's the the Gambia is where we started, and we sent them those five hundred legs or so, and then 
they they have a limited capacity in that mobility center you know there's they have one trained or had at the time one trained prosthetist and one technician and you know those guys only made like a leg every day or two um and then we started collecting lots more and realized that it would be it'd be worthless sending them to Gambia because they're just going to sit in a storeroom for years, maybe till they, till they get to be used. Um, I suppose it's worth saying as well. We don't, we don't send whole legs now. We just send the components all separately and we don't send the socket, which is the part that attaches to the, um, the, the person's residual limb, their stump. We, um, because that has to be made to, to fit they somebody perfectly. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're molded. So we send the components to places that can already mold those, those, you know, sockets. Um, so then, you know, after we realized we were getting too many, we, we started the hunt then to find mobility centers across the continent that, well, I suppose we were kind of looking for those that are, are not so developed that they have all of the components and they have a big plan and they have a swanky um center but we also don't want the ones that you know are probably struggling financially don't have the right staff and don't have the right tools or machines but we wanted to get that happy medium of people that you know had all the training had the tools but just needed the components um so we we were digging around, uh, find you know, emailing people, getting in touch with um, universities that had trained prosthetists, asking for the email addresses, and yeah, we I think we've got about 110 mobility centres on our books, um, of which we have nine centres that we now keep fully stocked with components, um, and that seems to be the right balance between um well for the for the amount of stock that we have to keep them fully operational um and hopefully that may that will grow yeah no really interesting to hear that journey i think i feel like i've just asked you loads of different questions about how that journey has happened in different areas <laughs> now um but no really good to to kind of hear hear how that's happened and i think really interesting to hear how the work you're doing with mental health and well-being has overlapped with um another project um mm. and actually to hear kind of a little bit just about the great work you're doing with legs for africa anyway um but for us i think to hear that insight of how the the mental health has has gone alongside the physical health need and the support that actually is the primary thing that you're doing and where the focus is um so you know really really nice to hear to hear about that um if people do want to find out a little bit more about Legs for Africa and the work that you're doing and find out different ways they can maybe support um, the work that you're doing as well, um, where would be good places for people to, to go to find out about Legs for Africa? Sure. So um, Legs for Africa is written like with a numerical four in the middle. So it's Legs for Africa. Um, our website is legsforafrica.org and that has lots of information about what we're up to, um, opportunities to donate money and also donate prosthetic legs as well. Um, 
So if any listeners have a prosthetic leg um, lying around the attic, we'd love that. Um, you know, if not more than your money, um, but if you haven't got a <laughs> leg, then some money would do. Um, but um, we're on all the social media channels as well, Legs for Africa. Um, and yeah, it's it's really nice to be at a point now where the well-being side of what we do is being recognized you know because that's been um that's been the the newly developed and a, a slow burner um but people are benefiting now and in three of those nine countries we have the beginnings of the program and that will hopefully spread to all nine within the next couple of years um and then more no it's um, amazing and i think very much feels like like i say it's, it's that journey is continuing isn't it and the involvement of of people with lived experience does take time to establish you say kind of training and parameters and also just people to go through the um the experience you need them to of to, to be part of that project as well so no a big thank you to you for, for coming on for sharing your insights and your experience as well and, and letting us know a little bit more about legs for africa Thank you very much, Mike. Um, It's been really nice. And thank you so much for having me on. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation so they can appreciate yeah it's difficult dealing with our minds and the suicidal thoughts were back people knew that there was something not right but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything you're not depressed it's it's all in your head that's probably the statement i've had people say the most i mean this 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 shit is real and it's hard it's exhausting sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission to say You just need a little bit of help. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.